0: yo what's good everyone welcome back to a new episode of badass asian dudes this week i have one of my friends his name is alan and he's an entrepreneur currently based in ho chi minh city vietnam you can check out alan's blog at zenhustle.com or check out his new company telefuel that's spelled t-e-l-e-f-u-e-l i met alan when i was based out in vietnam and we used to have a lot of fun together eating bomb vietnamese food and enjoying saigon nightlife This was in 2017, and cryptocurrencies were all the rage. Alan and I are both super into crypto, and he had just started his crypto marketing agency at the time, so we would always talk about the moon and Lambo during those glorious days. It was awesome. Alan is incredibly thoughtful and purposeful with how he lives his life. I love how he breaks his life down into four buckets, health, wealth, relationships, and play. And also, I love the way he challenges himself and gets out of his comfort zone. Some examples we talk about in our conversation is his first time trying stand-up comedy. Damn, that's freaking hard. And also his 30-day YouTube challenge where he put out a video every day for a month. In this episode, we go through his general life story, but also a lot of other side stuff, like what it's like living in the USA versus Asia, the challenges of dating in Asia, Think about what is most important to you in life and optimizing your life for that. Challenging yourself to step outside of your comfort zone, stepping outside of your own reality, why you should listen to crazy people, and the crypto bubble of 2017. We kind of go everywhere in this chat, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Just two Asian entrepreneur dudes just talking about everything. Thanks for listening, guys, and make sure to share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Also, don't forget to check out my Facebook group, Badass Asian Dudes, if you want to meet other like-minded Asian dudes that are hustling and on their path. Thanks again, guys, and let's get on with the show. Bro, how are you, man?
1: What's Life is going good. On? Where are you? I'm in San Diego right now. I was just in uh, L.A. I've been on this like whirlwind six weeks in the U.S. right now. Uh, it's been four weeks already. I got two more weeks to go, and you know what it's like when you're in town for a month or whatever. You gotta get it all in, see all the family, see all the friends. So it's been a, been crazy.
0: California <laughs> summertime—that's the best.
1: Anytime is summertime in California. You know what I'm saying? It's so nice here. I mean. It's just like same temperature all all year round, and I love it. I know. Uh, San
0: Diego is amazing, man. The weather is so good. It is. What's Seoul like right now? Seoul, it is pretty hot. It's getting really muggy, Mm -hmm. but still, I think it's it's not at its peak yet, so I'm still enjoying the weather outside. Evening time, it's really nice outside. Just have dinner, and um, yeah, everything's good, dude. Nice.
1: Is this your place? Is this how you live?
0: Yes, this is my spot. You got to come out to Seoul. How's Vietnam? It's good.
1: You know, I've lived there for five years now. And uh, this is what I, you know, this, this US trip has really solidified. I've had this growing sense of in five years, had a ton of fun there. It's been, it was a great, yes. it's a great chapter of my life. Yes. But, but there's a caveat is like, I, I'm ready for the next chapter. I think the yes. next chapter. I remember,
0: I remember you talked about this last summer. In, oh, LA. in LA, LA, yeah. yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> crazy running, man. Are you still thinking about LA or San Diego or where else would you be thinking?
1: Yeah, so a few things. We're applying to YC uh, Winter 2020 batch. I feel pretty good about our application, so. But you know, you never know with these things. That would take us to the Bay Area. I was just in the Bay Area. I took a bunch of meetings with like some angels and another accelerator called Founders for there are things I like about the Bay area, but then there's things that just make it unpalatable, including like cost of living is just straight up prohibitive and it's not getting any better with these tech from, IPOs. From
0: going from Saigon to the I, Bay I area know. would be insane. Unpalatable. That would be insane, dude. Yeah.
1: But you know, it, it, it's a great, it would be a great place to be for the advancement of, of the business that we're doing. You know, it is, we are taking outside capital for it. It is close proximity to a bunch of other, you know, what could come into strategic partnerships or relationships. You know, I'm okay with the city. I like I like SF enough. Certainly would take a hit, you know, when it comes to dating like quantity, probably take a hit based on the um based on the reputation of, of SF in the Bay Area. But in terms of like quality, you know, like a there's there's, there's brilliant smart people there and, and including, you know, including the women. So I think like, you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be some number of, you know, high quality high quality people there in general. So
0: yeah, I remember your core life things are health, wealth, relationships, and play. Exactly. So relationships, it might be going down there, but then wealth, who knows, it might skyrocket.
1: Yeah. And play would certainly, I don't know, manage, we manage to have fun wherever we go. Um, and I think, you know, the Vietnam chapter of my life, you know, uh, moved there when I was 26, now I'm 31. Uh, when I, five years ago, I was optimizing for, um, adventure, uh, fun, lifestyle, cost of living. Absolutely. And over the last four years, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, of, you know, the, um, the things that I've, that are more important to me in life are starting to come into focus. I mean, um, things like being close to my family, close to my parents, um, taking, you know, thinking about dating differently now, thinking about relationships differently now. So I think that does happen in the U S and I think to to, you know, tie this back into your, you know, question about like LA versus Anywhere else, San Diego. I, I I'm, I'm leaning mostly towards LA now, but uh, California's a great place. There's a lot of a lot of great places in it. So, sure. where where are your parents? They're in Maryland, outside Washington DC, but they're um, they're pretty mobile now. They're like they're retired. They're like they're like digital nomads at this point. They're all over the place, and they're the only ones of our family on the East Coast. All my other aunts and uncles, you know, I'm, I'm Vietnamese American, so a lot of my Vietnamese aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff are all in like socal or bay area so i'd be close to them my parents come all the time so i think for optimizing for family proximity which is something i never would have thought of five years ago or or longer but it's super important now that happens in california for me so
0: yeah i mean that's something that i've been thinking about a lot too because our parents are getting older and when you live in asia it's so hard to see them So maybe you'll see them once a year or something like that. Yeah, and so yeah, that's I've been thinking about that a lot too. But you know, you said you've been in Vietnam for how many years? Five years. Yeah. So in Korea, I think I'm going on my second year. I think I still have a few more years left. But I, I I could feel you. You know, like I'm sure, just the same city, it gets old, and you want something new. It's you know, that I I can't say that. That's exactly how I feel. Okay. Um, Saigon has
1: not gotten old. I mean, it is vibrant and energetic and fun as ever, but I will say, and it's got a special place in my heart and I will, I mean, even, even if I, as I make this move back to the U.S., i S I'll always come back to Vietnam at least once a year. Um, I'd be remiss not to. So if Saigon hasn't gotten old to me. It's just what I'm optimizing for has changed. Um, you know, in Saigon, so, you know, cost of living isn't, you know, thankfully now, like I have more flexibility financially, um, you know, before it, you know, proximity to family wasn't like a huge priority for me. Now it's growing in importance. Um, the, uh, honestly, like the, the, the quality of, of the relationships in terms of dating, um, is, is something that I'm, I'm taking into account now. Like before I wasn't too concerned when I was 26, 27 about like, you know, getting married or, um, you know. Me as my as my friend affectionately put it, like meeting my baby mama. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Vietnam it's it's a it's a great place to be single and to have fun and to have like high quantity of, of of um dates, you know, that that kind of question. But in terms of, you know, that deeper emotional, spiritual, whatever, intellectual connection.
0: Yeah, that um, compatibility.
1: Yeah. You know, um culture barriers, language barriers, uh social economic barriers, education barriers. They're they're real and they're not insurmountable. I mean, you and I both know people, Western expats that have found their love in in Korea or in, in Vietnam. So it's definitely not impossible. But for me, I'm I'm curious to see, uh, and I have a an inkling or an idea that it might. I'm Vietnamese American. I, f- I feel like you know an Asian American or Vietnamese American counterpart. I think I think makes a lot of sense. So I think putting myself in a position to to make that happen. How about and, you? How about you? Tell me about. Uh,
0: Yo, everything is really good. I know exactly what you mean. Just because I've been going on so many dates here in Korea, meeting so many people. And, you know, we are Asian American. And so we grew up like in a certain culture, Mm -hmm. a certain mindset. And it is hard to find that when you're in Asia because the cultures are so, so different. Mm -hmm. I think for me, one of the things that really helped was meeting girls that also kind of grew up in that same culture, or maybe had that experience. So maybe they went to school in the US for a little bit, or they went to school in Europe for a little bit. And I think because of that, the culture, there's a similarity in culture. And so compatibility is a lot better.
1: Yeah, I could see that. And also, you know, based on the fact that South Korea is much more, you know, economically at parity with the US, there's not going to be as much of a social economic you know disparity uh,
0: yes yes you're right yeah yeah for sure and and
1: and i and i don't mean to say that there's any sort of like i don't want to come off as classist saying that it's not an insurmountable thing but it makes a difference in terms of you know just like
0: your values and 100 percent, 100 i agree yeah, yeah for sure dude yeah i definitely agree and so i was just looking at your zen hustle sure. youtube page and so, i yo i remember when you did the stand up comedy that's insane dude how was it yeah that yeah
1: me? it was great man i mean i am a i, I like to watch stand up comedy you know i don't i uh, you know the times that i chill out and watch netflix a lot of times i'll end up on stand up and fan of the art form and uh, big fan of joe rogan he's a you know he's a hero of mine huge
0: joe rogan fan love joe rogan dude he's, he's a, a beast he's a, he's a fucking man dude yeah, yeah, everything is a beast. yeah and
1: um is is so, so much to respect about a guy like Joe Rogan. And, uh, you know, when, when he talks about, like, I don't really care that much about MMA to be honest, but I can listen when he talks about fighting because of the way with which he's is able, able to break things down and give you a peek behind the curtain of, of, of an art form that, you know, I'm ignorant to. And so he does that with MMA and fighting. He also does that with comedy. And in general, you know, you and I were both entrepreneurs, you know, we, um, we're familiar with the creative process of our own of our own businesses you know and and i love hearing about other creative processes too whether that's like the south park documentary where they, you know six days to air or whatever it was where they you know talk about the creation it follows them through the creation of a south park episode
0: oh yeah yeah i love that yeah I see you know that.
1: it's super cool to see behind the for the sure of, yeah of the creative process and Anyway, back to the stand-up question. So, Joe, you know, as he talks about the creative process of stand-up and some of the challenges around it, I, you know, I, it's hard for me to hear that and and not be like, ooh, I got to give that a shot. Like, what'll that be like? Um, and so, yeah, got got a chance. My friend was doing an open mic and invited me to join her, and so uh, it, was, it was fun.
0: Man, weren't you scared? I feel like when I saw that, I was thinking like, do I have the balls to do comedy mic night? And right now, it's not. I don't think I'd be able to do it. Yeah,
1: I I have so many thoughts on that. First off, yeah, I'm generally good with public speaking, and presentations, and business presentations, and sales pitches, and you know, like anybody else, you get some anxiety or some nerves. But the stand up was like by far, like uh, an order of magnitude more nerve wracking because you know you're trying to elicit a like very particular reaction, and and the thing that kind of like, and the reason I haven't done it since people have asked me if I've done it since then. And I'm like, honestly, the reason I haven't is because one thing I found is that it took a surprising amount of mental bandwidth in the days, in the week leading up to it, as you know, you start to, you start to think about what the jokes are going to be, you know, the writing process and then the editing process. And then for the two days leading up to it, I was, I couldn't do anything.
0: The the anticipation. Yeah. The nervousness probably. Yeah. And then day
1: of, I was worthless. Like I did it on a weekday, like evening on a weekday and I couldn't do shit all day. I was just like, just running the routine through my head, editing, modifying it. Yeah. It was a pretty, so that's why I, you know, like I love to, to, you know, it's the kind of thing, you know, if if you're going to do it, 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 it takes so much mental bandwidth that you really have to be devoting a lot of yourself to it. It's very hard to like dabble in. Stand up, I imagine.
0: Yeah, and seeing the behind the scenes, I think that's so cool to see. And now that I have a podcast, like I see the behind the scenes of all of these like podcasts that I listen to and see how much work it takes, see the whole process. It's been a really cool thing.
1: Absolutely. Once you start any sort of productive or creative endeavor, you're gonna look at other creators in that space differently. So, you know, you run um like an e commerce e-commerce store right like you don't yeah. look at e-commerce stores the same way a normal consumer does for sure. i don't i don't look at like mobile apps or software you know the same way that most consumers do now because i'm looking at the ui the ux the choice of copy you know the the coloring and the gradients and everything so same thing with podcasting same thing with youtubing same thing with stand-up you can appreciate it on a different level once you've done it
0: yeah for sure and i think that's also what you learned doing the 30 days of youtube how is that yeah it ended up being like 100 days i did like three months in a row dude that's awesome man yeah. that actually that inspired me i was thinking maybe i should <laughs> do a youtube video every day fun uh it was cool
1: i, I need, i'm gonna start doing weeklies again um and yeah it's nice to just have a i don't know it, it, it's it's fun to be a producer at, at, of, of something that you know just like the stand-up thing like after if once you kind of tried to orient myself around producing more than I consume There's a professor at NYU. His name is Scott Galloway. He has his book in this presentation. It's called the algebra of happiness. One of his, one of his rules for happiness is like you should sweat more than you watch people sweat. Like most people watch sports. Like he's like, you should, you should commit to like working out more than, more than you watch other people, you know, be yeah. active. And that's an equation for, for happiness. I feel similarly about, about, Um, content creation versus content consumption about product creation versus product consumption about money spending versus money earning you know like try as much as possible in every in any regard to put more out there back into the world than than you take in and to be in that producer uh instead of like a just a consumer
0: No, for sure. I I really, I really think that's super important. I try not to consume too much, you know, like Netflix, like TV, like I try not to do that. Instead, I want to be putting stuff out there. So that's why I started this podcast. So I feel like we have a lot of similar mindsets and just looking at your YouTube videos, your videos about mindset, about hustle, about motivation, about habits. Yeah, dude, I love that kind of stuff. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for saying that seeing all those videos that you had, like when you are just hanging out with friends, like you're going out to bars, you're going out to clubs, you don't really talk about that kind of thing, but then seeing you talk about that made me see a deeper side of you. Absolutely. I mean,
1: that's part of the part, part of the motivation or the inspiration behind it. You know, like I, I you think about, I think about the writers or the kind of thought leaders that I admire the most. And, you know, all of them find a way not just to on one hand, you want to, the best example is to, I mean, the best way to communicate something ultimately is to lead is to just be the example of it, you know, live your life in accordance with these values or these ideas. Um, But the the other half of, you know, that's like, that's like the product, but the the other half of it is, is the marketing, you know, like distributing the uh, these ideas, you know, putting them out there for other people to consider for, you know, to share with other people to help, I think it was Tony Shea, He's the CEO, the CEO of Zappos. And he had this concept called ice. Anything that he put out, any content or social media posts that he put out, he wanted to either inspire, uh, to connect, to educate, or to entertain. And I thought that was a great kind of framework that I kind of tried to follow with with my, with my YouTube. You know, I was inspired by another YouTuber uh, that was doing dailies. And I was like, oh, like, I want to you know that's a challenge that I want to take on. I want to learn more about it, and I want to maybe I can help inspire or educate or entertain some other viewers out there the same way that I was watching other YouTubers. So, ah, uh, yeah. Thanks for saying that.
0: Yeah. So I think that was really cool, and that's actually why it inspired me because I was thinking, oh, maybe I can show other people a different side of me. As sure. Well. So
1: tell me, tell me about uh, what you want to do with this podcast. I mean, what's, you know, what was the motivation and what's your, do you have any goals or?
0: My motivation is just to inspire the next generation of young Asian dudes. So for me, I'm an entrepreneur. And then also I know a bunch of other Asian entrepreneurs. I know a bunch of Asian investors, people who are doing really well, who are living an awesome life. And I felt like this could be a good outlet where I could interview some of my friends or get some people that I know or I don't know that are just crushing it and then pass on their stories and their advice to the guys that are younger than us. And then also, you know, the people that you hang out with, they are your biggest influences. And I feel like some people, they don't have those good influences, so I wanted to create that Facebook group to be that kind of place where people can talk about ideas or goals or aspirations and influence each other to live a more awesome, a better life.
1: Yeah, no, I I love that, especially you know the especially as an Asian guy, you know, growing up Asian American um, didn't have as many like role models or heroes, especially you know, like masculine Asian male role models growing up and i also grew up like a one percent minority in a very kind of white uh suburb of of dc no complaints at all i have great you know i had a great great upbringing great childhood and great friends from that period but it's kind of like disconnected from any sort of asian asian american community and kind of stumbled into it and figured it out like pretty late honestly like into college after college honestly like moving to asia was like you know, the first time I'd, I'd really had even like Asian American friends, but I've observed, like, I mean, I feel this way. I'm interested in hearing what you think. Like, I do feel like you're seeing on some certain subreddits as you, that you know about or through like, um, through the, uh, not like it's not everywhere yet, but slowly through the media and then also through like online communities, like on Facebook, like subtle Asian traits, a, um, A growing awareness or waking up of of asian asian culture asian american culture it's something i i see and i'm I'm happy to see it i don't know you see
0: it i'm oh i definitely see it i definitely see it and i'm really loving it so i think that's also why i started this podcast because i saw that and i see the potential for this kind of movement growing bigger you know, like everyone all Asian dudes just like helping each other, leveling each other up. And so I definitely see what you're saying. Subtle Asian traits. There's also so many other subtle Asian Love it. Yeah.
1: On yeah it's subtle Asian dating it's classic. Yeah.
0: Love it. Yeah, it makes sense to me, man. I uh, I was happy to be uh to be in the Facebook
1: group and happy to be on the show now.
0: Thank you, dude. I'm really, really glad that you're here. Okay, so you grew up in Maryland and yeah. So after graduating from school, what'd you do?
1: I uh, went to, I lived in New York for two years. I um, got my, I got a job, a brief stint uh, doing ad sales for Yelp. Uh, so I was calling local businesses and selling them ads, very controversial position. And then I started Yelp my first-
0: getting a bad rap these days. Yeah.
1: Did that for two years. Uh, started my first business. I got into startups and knew that I wanted to build my own. So 2012, I started it. Uh, I built an app called simple crew. It's still running. Um, it's like a street team reporting tool for like concert promoters and music festivals and concert venues built that 2013. I was accepted with that app into a startup Chile, which is a government run accelerator in Santiago, Chile.
0: Oh shit. Yeah.
1: That. Oh yeah. Going Damn. back.
0: Chile. Dude. That's yeah. an awesome.
1: It was amazing. An amazing eight months backpacked around, met a ton of great people, uh, and I was, you know, moved from like, like a, like a, like a, you know, nice upper middle class white town in the U.S. to New York City, which is a much more diverse American city, to Santiago, Chile, which is very homogenous. I was a lot of people. I was the first Asian person that they'd ever seen. While I was in Chile, I uh, I met a friend. Who was in the Dynamite Circle, which is the digital nomad community that you and I met through?
0: Got it. Yes, um, highly recommend for location-independent entrepreneurs. And it's you know it's just like private message board community
1: for digital nomads and internet entrepreneurs. I told him, I mentioned to this friend that after Chile, I was considering moving to Vietnam, and he was like, "Oh, you got to check out the DC. I'd never heard of it before." Signed up maybe four months before I went. And I started connecting with people that were already living in Vietnam through the message board. By the time I moved to Vietnam, February of 2014, I, I like I landed and I knew like 15 people in the city already and just landed with a plug-in community and, and social circle. And that set me up for success in Vietnam. I and mean, it was instant. Like I immediately felt home in, in Vietnam and it hasn't changed. I still feel very much comfortable and at home in, in, in many ways in Vietnam. Thanks a large part to that community.
0: For sure, that community is awesome. Before you started Simple Crew, did you know about location-independent entrepreneurs, the digital nomad life, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah.
1: I senior year of college, I read Four work Workweek and Rich Dad Poor Dad like back to back. Yeah, and um, and so that like, and it was, it was it was a nice time to read it too because like I had would already been like shy about the idea of like doing a normal nine to five and. But, I, you know, it wasn't clear to me that there was, you know, which exactly what path to take, which that poor dad and, and, and for our work, we combined to kind of paint a uh, illuminate a path that involved, you know, building an asset that decouples your income from the time that you work. So you're not selling your hours or your years anymore. You know, you can you know, build an asset that creates value for the customer while you sleep and then that asset itself has asset value and, and you can grow the cash flow in a way that, you know you, you have leverage to go grow the cash flow in a way that you can't you know lever your time if you're just working hourly or annually and so like like many people in our community either directly or indirectly uh very much influenced by tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week
0: yo how did you come across those books your senior year in high school Sorry, senior year of college. I, senior year of college. Okay, yeah. Okay. okay, that makes more sense. I was just thinking, damn, high school. Not that man. Not that young. I'm not that young. You Started early.
1: <laughs> not that young. Yeah, it was funny. I, I bought that book. I bought Four Hour Work Week for my for my cousin um, who was entering his freshman year at uh, San Jose State like three years ago or two years ago or something, and. Uh, And he flipped through it. He didn't, he didn't read it. He didn't go through it yet. And now he's a senior and I was just talking. He's like, I don't know what to do. Like after I graduate, I'm like, dude, you gotta, you gotta read a fucking four hour work week, man. Like it'll, you may or may not do anything with it, but at least know about the option.
0: What other books do you like? Are you big into entrepreneur books, big into personal finance books?
1: Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. A lot of not mostly nonfiction. um, And uh, a lot of, I mean, a lot of books, some of them, you know, I, for me, I mean, you mentioned personal finance, obviously rich dad, poor dad. I will teach you to be rich.
0: Oh, Ramit um, Teti, that I love Ramit. Yeah, he's a man. Yeah, uh, he is a man. I've been reading I will teach you to be rich.com for so long. Oh, yeah.
1: Did you get his new? I mean, you just dropped the uh, second edition of.
0: I haven't gone to the second edition. I have the first edition. So I'm not sure if I should buy the second one, but maybe I'll buy it just to support him
1: yeah yeah and it's, uh, I, I pre-ordered it and it was uh, it was updated. It's a lot of the same frame, mental frameworks, right? I mean, it's automation, it's leverage. so you know you don't have that much leverage by cutting out the three dollar latte, but you have a lot of leverage by negotiating a higher salary. So scripts, so it's, uh, it's a lot of the same stuff. I haven't read it all the way through, I just kind of flipped through it. I so said that book. I, I recently read uh, Nathan latka has got this book, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital it's good it's solid it gets you thinking about like creative money making strategies and hustles
0: really yeah um, what are some buy- ideas in there like drop shipping affiliate marketing you can you can buy social media influencer accounts like on like socialtradia.com
1: or swap.com. you can sell like you know sponsored ad placements or leverage the instagram account to like get free travel get free you know free bookings free resorts i actually did this i ended up buying a travel Instagram account. I haven't, I actually haven't done anything with it yet, but I yeah got 150,000 followers. Hey, that's cool. Um, and then, uh, some other ideas. He, he, um, he talks about this experience he had where he like went around to different food trucks in Austin and he was just like worked out a, um, creative uh, investment deal where like he negotiated a, um, upfront check that he paid the, this like Thai Thai food truck. And then, and then he gets like a Mister Wonderful style royalty on every every taco sold, or every sorry, every every Thai dish sold in perpetuity, or something along those lines. So it's like it's kind of out of the box creative.
0: No, I love that. Uh, I love those like out of the box creative ideas. And I yeah. felt like the Four Hour Work Week was that for me because I learned about affiliate marketing, I learned about e-commerce, about drop shipping. You know, so totally. I feel like those are those kind of books that give you ideas that you've never heard of that really gets the creative juices flowing and trying to figure out how to make money without a lot of money. Yeah, man. I think the trick with any of these books is that like you have to
1: be willing to like... So for a lot of people that haven't been exposed to these kind of like entrepreneurship or to startups or to starting businesses, like it can be hard to suspend their disbelief. It's a, it's very different from the reality that they know. And it can, it can be challenging to your reality. If the reality that, you know, is like, you know, um, like most people, you know, go to school and then get a job and then work in that job and, and, you know, try to get raises and, you know, the more, much more conservative path. Sometimes you, you, like people, if, if they, if they're really locked into that path, like, they can't accept the, the idea of something like the 4-Hour week style, you know, news or lifestyle business. Yeah, for because sure. Because it fucks with them. Like, to challenge their reality so hard and sh- and just, like, show them that something else is possible. Like, it, if, it's almost like if they accept it, but they don't act on it, like, it, it's uh, it's, it's their, like, ego or their identity that's being, yeah
0: Yeah. You know. I mean, it's like stepping out of the matrix, for sure. And also, I'm sure you've seen on Reddit or forums, people saying four-hour work week is a scam like don't yeah, read man. that book it's a scam yeah like, that's crazy that's yeah. seriously crazy
1: just lack imagination and creativity yeah. like exactly where their ego is like is um prohibits them from being able it, it's you know it's a kind of i hope to not sound too crude but it's a similar i draw the analogy of it's similar to like if you read um you know men's dating advice like pick up pick up stuff or or maybe the and that could that's a you know, big topic and that can go to a dark side. There's a dark side of that. And then there's a, um, I think there's a very productive side of that. And in the same way, a guy that there there are guys that just can't let themselves believe that there's anything you can do to improve yourself in, in that regard, because that would put the burden of responsibility on them to make that change. They can't allow themselves to believe that change is possible in whether it comes to personal finance or, or, um, starting a business or improving you know, improving their, you know, their sex life. They have to externalize. They can't let themselves internalize that if they haven't taken action.
0: No, I agree. I agree. I know exactly what you mean. And on my website, I have a reading list and there's, you know, the game is on my recommended reading list. Because Uh, because if you read the game, that's stepping out of the matrix. It's thinking, wow, I can improve my dating. I can learn how to date. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like entrepreneurs especially, they have that – they know that they can improve themselves in anything. They gamify life. Like, yeah. everything about life is a game, you mm-hmm. know, and you can improve every single skill that you have. And yeah. it just takes practice and stepping out <coughs> of your comfort zone.
1: Yeah, man, absolutely. And, and practice stepping out of your comfort zone. And then maybe the first part is just going back to what I was saying earlier, just suspending disbelief, Like, reading the four hour work week or reading the game or reading rich dad, poor dad and believing that the author is telling a truth that that is re- a reality that, that you can adopt as well. Like some people just can't let themselves, you know, they, they read something like four hour work week and they just can't allow themselves to, to believe it. Yeah. Cause that, that, that means they have to take action, <laughs> you know, or, or live a normal life. So
0: yeah. maybe maybe we're different. Maybe we're mentally a little different that when we read those kind of things we think wow that is possible.
1: Yeah. that's what I'm saying that the ability to the desire to suspend this belief to want, you know, I, I feel like maybe there's like, you know, a small minority of people that can that are like actively seeking out these kinds of these kinds of alternatives and this kind of, you know, ways to unplug from the matrix. There's some people that are actively very much against it. And then there's a a broad middle that probably are maybe open to it, could be swayed, but just don't know to look for it. Don't know it's there. Yeah,
0: for sure. So Saigon, you move to Saigon and then what happens next?
1: Man, I mean, that pretty much over the course of five years takes us to today. Um, Yeah. And
0: we got to go to the crypto. We're sure. Oh. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll go there. We'll, we'll go there. I, I, w- I
1: will just say, you know, about the lifestyle in Saigon before jumping into that is, you know, it's yeah. been like, you know, really benefited from, um, you know, the first business I started was bootstraps so no outside capital. So I was able to live off of like a grand a month for the first year, you know, or yeah. two, and then um, reinvest that money in, in the business, which um, uh, which I, you know, would was able to grow much faster than than it would have been in the U S. And so from a financial standpoint, that helped extend the runway, give me more money to reinvest in the business and then also access to travel. So being able to get, you know, like going, going from Ho Chi Minh city to like Bangkok or Taipei or Korea or Bali or Singapore or Jakarta, like it's as easy as getting from like Philadelphia to Washington, DC to Baltimore, to New York, to, you know, I don't know, Atlanta, Columbus, like, um, and so I got to like, Experience a corner of the world, and, and then eventually, you know, check out Europe and stuff too. In, in a way that, like, I don't know, it was really accessible. Yeah, so for someone, you know, at the time I was in my twenties, like, it, it was the right move for the right time. So that, you know, I was the special chapter
0: in, in for sure. Life. I that's why I love living in Korea too. It's so easy to access everywhere. Just go to Tokyo or exactly what you said, Jakarta, Bali, sure, Taipei, uh, yeah, man. And then uh,
1: the crypto community, to your point, is uh, is massive in, in throughout Asia. Um, and so, you know, we got we connected over crypto early when we were visiting Vietnam. Yes, we did. When was that? Two thousand seventeen. That was yeah, like the, was end, uh, the
0: hype, <laughs> the peak. How did <laughs> yeah. you first get into crypto, or how did you first hear about crypto?
1: Oh man, well, you know, I've been working in tech and startups for a while. Um, you know, two thousand. 13, I, you know, I heard about it. But I didn't take any action and in startup Chile. There were some, there were some Bitcoin projects, um, Bitcoin exchanges that were uh, early that were in my batch in startup Chile. And um, so, and it was always, if you think back to the first person that you heard about Bitcoin or Ethereum through, they're the same kind of like crazy hair, crazy look in their eyes, just like a little bit nutty. And uh,
0: that definitely
1: turns you off. It, you know, and I and I I've literally since come to like if any like I'll, I'll go to these conferences, is and hilarious. if the guy with the crazy hair and the crazy eyes, like if they talk now, I listen. I'm like, what do you what are you on now? And I haven't taken any action on this. Yeah, that's I,
0: that's that's a great rule. Actually, I should start thinking about that. That is yeah, a seriously great heuristic to think about for sure. Yeah. yeah, man.
1: Even then, it goes back to what we were saying, like suspending disbelief, like my i remember i rented my apartment in vietnam when i left for like three months i rented it to in 2014 to a guy who we started talking about bitcoin and then he was telling me about ethereum he, and it's the first time i'd ever heard of ethereum it's like 2000 yeah. 2014 2015. and uh it must have been it must have been less than five dollars at the time and i was like and he's telling me that like it's it's like based on the same technology as bitcoin but it's uh, there's the Ethereum Virtual Machine, which lets you publish applications, and it runs in a decentralized, you know, decentralized computing network. And I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, how does that fucking work? Like, I'm familiar with traditional software, centralized software architecture, where you create an application and you install it on a server in the cloud, like AWS, and then have people access it from their clients. And I'm familiar with like, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. And so conceptualizing what a dap what is now i know understand to be a dap like conceptualizing how that works and how it would run is just like baffling to me so i didn't think much of it of course ethereum grew to be what it is today so
0: okay so i know that you know marketing have you ever heard of like the rule of seven where Mm -hmm. you have to like touch the customer seven times before the customer makes a decision so I feel like when you first hear about like Bitcoin or Ethereum, like it's you just kind of like pass it off. You just brush it off. But you totally. got to hear it multiple times from different sources, from different people. And then you think, huh, actually this is a real thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: unless, so maybe it goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier, like, you know, the minority early adopters, the minority laggards, you know, forget about yeah. them. And then like the, you know, the fat middle. And so, you know, there are some people that are out there looking for exactly what, you know, Bitcoin, for example, offers, like the hardcore libertarian, anti-authoritarian, you know, crypto anarchist. And as soon as they read the original Bitcoin white paper, they're like, they did it and their eyes light up and like, this is going to change everything. And then there's, you know, those would be like the ultimate early adopters. And then maybe Mm -hmm. I and probably you fall into like perhaps early majority where it's like, it gets distilled. We hear it a few times. We start to see it in the wild and we're like, we're on board. We're like, fuck yeah, we become brand champions. And then... And then the, the adoption curve follows. So we're probably on the you know early majority or maybe even end of early adopters, but then they're they're like the like I said, the, the guys with the crazy eyes and the, the crazy crazy guys. Hair. I love that. I <laughs>
0: seriously love that. That's that's an amazing rule. And what I really like is that now that we're entrepreneurs I feel like we're always looking for that next trend we're always kind of like have an eye out to see like what is like the next new thing and so I love that we have trained ourselves to kind of look for those crazy people
1: yeah absolutely and they're uh (laughs) it's just funny to think about like I um I don't know sometimes I wonder how, how many times especially early on like when you're starting something any business like I, i'm doing this now i'm visiting family in san diego uh, i'm in the middle of launching a new product and my family like when i explain when my family asks like how my business is going and i i'm explaining to them like yeah so selling selling the last business and now i'm starting this new thing and i can see them just being like what <laughs> like and i'm gonna explaining this new project and they're just like i feel like i'm the crazy one like of crazy hair, but crazy eyes, maybe like to the next person in line, you're the early crazy one.
0: for sure. Hey, sometimes so. <laughs> I think that like I'm in like a cult, like a crypto cult. You know, like Andreas Antonopoulos, they call him Bitcoin Jesus. Yep. And sometimes I just try to think like, do I sound like a crazy person when I'm talking about crypto?
1: Yeah, yeah man. like you sound like a crazy person when you're talking about crypto. You that sound like a crazy when you're talking about Asia. And yeah, when you're West, when when you're in the West, you sound like a crazy person when you're talking about starting a business to someone. Or you, dude, you honestly like generally being a someone who can suspend disbelief and visualize things that don't exist as a as a builder myself. Sometimes when people explain new ideas, like new app ideas or new software ideas, to me, and I'm like, I'll I'll, I'll listen to it and I'll be like, Yeah, we'll see. You know, like yeah, I, yeah,
0: yeah. I agree. I know what you mean. It's hard. Yeah. It is really hard. Okay, so you get into crypto, and then you started the company ChainFuel.
1: Yeah, that kind of happened accidentally. I, um, 2017, I kind of you know, along alongside you and, and everyone else. I mean, you you did a great job of very disciplined staying in, in the um, in the blue chips, if you will, like the Bitcoin, yeah. The Ethereum.
0: Yeah.
1: But I I and many others ran off into the wild world of altcoins, and um, there was a project <laughs> that had since oh my gosh has since gone on to exit scam. <laughs> Uh, it's called Oyster Pearl. We'll, we'll talk about that about that in a bit, and how, what that does to me. But um, <laughs> but at the time, this project, among their merits, which which were several, I mean, it was legitimately like they were legitimately building. They were legitimately and and now still are still building what they said they were building, which was like kind of a distributed man. It was a three way marketplace that connected consumer website visitors, website publishers. And people that want a distributed storage, so it's a three way marketplace. And um, anyway, I, I I put some money in when it was at like let's call it twenty cents. Yeah. And then, uh, but they had the worst website and the worst logo. And at the time, I was doing my second SaaS business. I I'm a Suedo designer, and I, I work with a team of designers. And uh, I had my I I am uh, uh, one of my designers did a new logo and website for them. Just honestly, like not even thinking, we didn't even ask them permission. We just did it because I was holding like a few grand worth of tokens. And so it's in my interest to help this thing grow. And so I sent them the website and they gave me five grand worth of tokens. I sent them the logo. They gave me five grand worth of tokens. So they paid me 10 grand for this weekend job already. I'm like, Oh shit. You know, there's something here. And uh, the token went over the next few weeks. It went from 30 cents to $3. So 10 X. And I was, I, I, sold at about three dollars and it kept on going up until to about 450 and then and then crashed down but um you know if you do if you're following along i got i, I basically got cleared like near six figures for doing this yeah. weekend design job and i was like okay like i gotta dig around here a little bit so that's that was the genesis of change fuel and um we started i i started i basically moved some people over into this from my software business into the agency and Using the money to hire a few more people. And we started doing marketing services like branding identity. Then we started getting into PR and, and community management. So hired a team of remote kind of community managers, customer service, think of it as like customer service, live live yeah. chat reps.
0: It was a great and time to do that. Yeah. Really, really great time. Yeah. It was my
1: fastest growing business for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but then, you know, market dried up 2018. The service revenue was already kind of, drying up a little bit. I like to create products. And so with my partner, we were looking at product ideas. We built one called repurpose the name Change fuel for it. And it, it was a anti-spam and analytics and CRM tool for Telegram group owners. So you can manage your Telegram group more effectively. We launched the free version of that. It's got about 800 users right now. We uh, launched the paid, well, before we launched the paid tier, we realized that, you know, there's a lot of competition. The market wasn't very big and it wasn't like solving a huge pain point. So we, um, but we realized we found a deeper, deeper pain in the Telegram ecosystem. And, and uh, it was that like, you know, businesses, developers, investors, salespeople are, are starting to use Telegram for collaboration and for work purposes, but they're using Telegram apps that were designed for consumer chatting, you know, talking to your friends and family. There was no organization features, no like business process workflow, that kind of stuff. And so it was a very unorganized chat experience for these professionals. And so that's, that leads us to the business that we're doing today, um, which is Telefuel.com. And it's like a Slack style business chat app for the Telegram network. All that to say, you know, like, you know, you can't connect as, you know, Steve Jobs said in that Stanford speech, like you can't connect the dots looking forward. You know, it's impossible to see where any line or thread will, will go, but but looking backwards over these these jumps, it all came out of that crypto run-up, you know, like for sure. I, you know, this business is doing, doing, it's an exciting time in this business now with Telefuel and, and um, it's not directly crypto, it's not a crypto business itself, but it, it's yeah. obviously crypto adjacent. Um, and so it's very much a result of getting involved in crypto when, when we did. So no no regrets there at all, even though the ride did come to an end.
0: <laughs> Where are you guys at with TelFuel right now?
1: So we started coding about six weeks ago. We on started onboarding our first beta cohort. Last three days ago or four days ago on Friday, so five weeks of coding to, to beta, so pretty quick pace. We have sixty-five people registered for the beta. Twenty of them, or sorry, ten of them, entered their uh, entered their credit card info already. So we have some paying some paying customers pre-product. That's awesome. Yeah, we raised a seed round around it. First time taking outside capital. Yeah, We're moving pretty quickly. I think we'll we'll probably be in beta through. Mid August and launch a paid 1.0 in August. So, yeah, pretty pumped about that. Just just because of how big the market is, I think it's it's the business that I'm. Uh, you know, my other businesses got to 10k MRR, then 15k MRR, and and now with this one, we're looking at like a legitimate path to seven figure ARR and honestly beyond. Like, there's a we could trace a line from here to eight figure annual revenue and into a figure annual revenue and maybe more. So it's the first time I felt like I've been doing a business that has like a legitimate case for investment, legitimate need for the investment, but then also legitimate like upside for potential angels. And maybe, maybe at some point not set on it, but maybe at some point venture backing. So
0: we'll see. You are a serial entrepreneur. You've done a bunch of different things. What is your general advice for the younger dudes out there?
1: Man, it's, it's always, it's always tricky to give general, you know, general advice.
0: What what do you think is the most important thing? What is the one thing? I think for me, I'll start just Mm -hmm. to get your creative juices flowing. I think for me, the most important thing is taking action, stepping out of your comfort zone and just making, making it happen. Just taking action, taking the first step. And then once you take the first step, you know what the next step is, and then you can take that step. So it's just taking little steps one by one. For example, this podcast, when I look at other podcasters and I see their audience, they're ginormous. You know, like the people that I really, really respect and admire, Tim Ferriss, Dave Asprey, all those big guys, I see their audience and it's really overwhelming. But then I yeah. think just taking one step, one little step every day, just taking sure. action. So yeah. for me, I think taking action is very important.
1: Yeah, I love it. I think having a having a bias towards action is, you know, uh, in, any, in any facet of life, not just if you want to start a business, but like, you know, if you want to get in shape or... Or, you know, get your relationships in order or anything like that. You know, bias towards action. I'm trying to think what else. I, I think something that's helped me put myself in, in a, increase my surface area for luck is putting myself or, around a community of people that are doing similar things. L- like you said earlier, you know, you're the average of the people that you spend the most time with. Yeah. And if you're trying to start something and you're isolated, you're culturally, or from a lifestyle perspective, you're isolated And just, I was in the suburbs of Bethesda, Maryland for a little while before I moved to Chile. And it was like, none of none of the people around me could, could empathize or could relate. And so it was, and if you're someone like me, who is generally extroverted and I get my energy from other people, you know, that was um, really helpful for anything that you're doing or whether, you know, like fitness, there's so many analogies that you could draw, but like getting in shape was another journey that I started at the same time as my first business. I, was, I used to be like 35 pounds heavier than I was now than I am now surrounding my, you know, getting into communities of, of people that were self-development oriented or growth oriented or entrepreneurs or, you know, active and healthy. Um, it increased my surface area for, for luck and for continuing the habit. So that would be something along, you know, being action, yeah, uh, action bias yeah.
0: community and the people you spend the most time with. That's so crucial. I, I, 100% agree and if you don't have those people I feel like online communities Facebook groups forums that's a great way and then also books and podcasts absolutely yeah books and podcasts those are huge mm-hmm.
1: there's there's so many great resources out there it's like that's another thing it's like knowing knowing like who to like which resources, having a decent filter for like which resources are like the top of the line versus which ones are just like, you know, some kid on an Instagram account, like, you know, managing it and, you know, trying to make some passive income of his own, no fault to him. But you want to, as much as possible, go to like the top, top shelf thinkers and the top to the source.
0: Yeah, for sure. But actually, I think that even going with that Instagram kid, that young kid that probably doesn't know what he's talking about. I think that's okay because from that experience, you learn a little bit more. Maybe you'll learn a little bit more like SEO or internet marketing or Facebook marketing. And then you'll seek out more information. And then from there, it'll snowball.
1: Yeah. Just, I guess it goes back to what you're saying. Default to action. Don't, don't worry too much about it being perfect or yeah, it being the, For sure, the For master sure. plan
0: cool alan where can people find more about you
1: i have uh my own, my personal
0: site that you mentioned earlier Zenhustle.com. i love that uh, name by the way zen hustle thank you, thank you. it sticks people people notice it. i love that name yeah. yeah it's like you you hustle but then you gotta be in that flow state you gotta be zen you totally. know you gotta clear your mind i love that shit
1: they balance each other out and um and then I also realized, you know, much like you and I, you know, we are fusions of like Western and Eastern cultures in our own way, being Asian American and and Zen and Hustle also mirrors that as well. Like, you know, Zen from the Eastern tradition and hustling is more of like a Western tradition. And so, you know, even the word itself, but the brand and then myself and you, like we're, we are, you know, also that, that kind of fusion. So ZenHustle.com, Telefuel.com is my new Telegram, uh, Telegram Power Chat app. That's where, that's where it's at.
0: Cool, man. I'm really excited to see more content from Zen Hustle. I appreciate that. More more is coming. More is coming. And you inspired me. You seriously inspired me, dude. I'm gonna I am probably gonna do that thirty day YouTube challenge.
1: Dude, let me know. I got all sorts of if if you do it, if you do it
0: again, I'll do it again. I'll do it in
1: August because I'm gonna be traveling until July twenty third here in the US. So
0: let me know. All right, good stuff, dude. Alan, it's been great catching up.